the opening of your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. We have been going through a series on Revelation, and we're taking a break from that for a moment for the reasons I shared last week, looking into some things, and I've had some wonderful conversations with folks this past week, and some wonderful emails about how we're all looking at the Word together. How can anything but nothing but good come from that? Aren't you grateful? The iron sharpens iron, and we can go through the Word and see for ourselves what it says. We're a priesthood of believers, uh, and we have access to God, every last one of us. And so, I'm so encouraged. The things I've been getting from, my, from phone conversations or emails and personal conversations have been just wonderful. And so, I'm so grateful. I'm excited about this season of time that we're in. I want to reiterate something for a purpose, because it has everything to do with where we're headed this morning. But what we're going to do in this, not break, but what I feel led to do is to do a series that will begin today, God willing, and I've entitled it, Witnessing 1, 2, 3. And those those points, 1, 2, 3, mean something. There's something behind every one of them. And God willing, we're going to look at point 1 today. That number 1, I want to emphasize the number 1 today. 1. Witnessing 1, 2, 3. And I want to share before we modify this at all, that... Um, when you look at the cross, and look under the cross, we just sang this morning that the cross is enough. Hallelujah. That's true. And uh, we look at the cross, the first thing that we see is not the nature of man, but the first thing that we see is the nature of God. The, the cross communicates who God is. And that is this, that He is a just God. And you'll find in modern day America, especially in our culture, a lot of that is just a completely ignored. And we run right over here to the fact that He's a Savior. And people think that they're going to be forgiven just because God's a forgiving God. He is a forgiving God. But after the sacrifice of His Son, there is no forgiveness. And so, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So, the first point is this, in looking at the Gospel, is the character and nature of God. We always start with men. That's how arrogant we are. We need to start with God. What is God like? And here's what God's like. According to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21, the Bible says that God is a just God. Okay? And a Savior. Okay? So we begin with His justice. God is a just God. Isaiah 45, 21. His justice was demonstrated on the cross according to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. The Bible says on the cross, God demonstrated His righteousness or justice, it might say in your version of the Bible. So God, because He's a just God, on the cross demonstrated His justice or righteousness, okay? And also, though, we learn from Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God on the cross demonstrated His love, showing Himself to be a Savior. So, in showing Himself as a just God, by demonstrating His justice on the cross, He calls men and women and boys and girls to repent. In demonstration of His love on the cross, showing Himself as our Savior, as the Savior, He calls men and women and boys and girls to what? Faith in His Son. So, the Gospel is received through, according to Acts 20, 21, and parallel verses throughout the Bible, through, because God is a just God, and He demonstrated His justice on the cross, He calls men and women and boys and girls to repent. And because He is a Savior, and demonstrated that on the cross because He's loved, He calls them to put faith in His Son. So salvation is received by repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, 
if the, the gospel message leaves out either one of those, it's, it's incomplete. Now that doesn't mean that you won't catch somebody who's already at the place of repentance. I'll show you that later in the Bible and need only to believe. But they've got to be brought to a place of repentance. This is the issue right here. The first word of the gospel is to repent. That was Jesus' first word when he was on this earth. And he was for, he, the forerunner of Christ was John the Baptist. And that was the first word out of John the Baptist's mouth. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the first word out of Jesus' mouth after his uh, public ministry began in the aftermath of his baptism was to repent and believe. So repentance is, is two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You can't have genuine saving faith without repentance. And genuine repentance is the doorway to saving faith. Okay? And so now I've asked Pat just for this morning not to be... Uh, in fact, you can use whichever one you want. I want him to take down, if you will. I've asked him, Pat, did you do your business? And uh, everybody makes fun of me because I'm always so particular about how those banners are put up. And they have to be just right and straight. But let me tell you why. And I'll tell you why. Because God put this on my heart to put these banners up here and keep them up here because I want the children of this church in particular to go through the rest of their life embedded in their memory that that cross represents not just the love of God and not the justice of God but it represents both and that God is a just God and God is a savior because it explains why the cross was necessary if God is not just the cross was murder but if God is just and he is then the cross is a demonstration of His love and it was a sacrifice. That's the difference. Amen? Now, I know, and the reason I feel led to go to this series is that I believe and I've heard from among us in just our conversations that you want to share the gospel with others, but you, 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 and you really want to tell them, but you don't quite know how to start the conversation or you don't quite know how to begin it. Let me say at the outset, I am not advocating that this is the only way to share the gospel. I, please, don't accuse me of that. I get accused of all kinds of things, but please, don't accuse me of that. I'm not saying that. There are other ways to share the gospel. I'm not saying that this is the corner on the market. But I'm saying that this is a thoroughly biblical way, I believe, to share the gospel. Thoroughly biblical way that will shed light on any man, woman, or boy, or girl with their true condition with God because of who He is and what they need to do in order to be saved. I believe that with my entire heart. And I want to share it with you. And I want to go through one, two, three steps. It's not meant to be complicated. If you share the gospel with somebody and they come away from it and they say, that's complicated, then you need to reassess your methods. Because that's not the way that you come away from it. If somebody says to me, that was very simple and seems too good to be true, internally I go, praise the Lord. I do. I do, because that's the way it should come across, because that's the way it is. A child can receive the gospel. I was a young child when I got, well, 13 years old when I got saved. So, it, you know, um, and uh, so, and we see children get saved all the time. We rejoice in that. But witnessing one, two, three, and I want to go through this, and I'd like for the spring, the, the, the um, foundational verse that we go from here would be Hebrews. Chapter 9, verse 27. That verse is not that there are any verses in the Bible that are not worth memorizing. But, I'm 10, 27, I'm sorry. That, not that there are verses in the Bible that are not worth memorizing. But boy, I'm here to tell you, 
this one. I meant 927. I'm sorry. I, I turned to the wrong page of my Bible. Okay. Um, the um, Hebrews 927. To put to commit this 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 verse to memory, and let's just take a simple let's just take a simple look at this verse uh, today, and and where and why it is so helpful in the presentation of the gospel. And before we do that, let's pray. Father, would you open up our hearts to what you have to say this morning? Nobody cares, nor should they, what I have to say. But we are very much interested in what you have to say. May we receive your word with meekness and holy fear. The very, very word that is able to save our souls. And I pray that it will run swiftly through us to others. In the sweet name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can't bring yourself to get the conversation started. You won't so badly. You look back on interactions you have with people, and man, I, I intended to get to the gospel there, and I just didn't get there, or we didn't go far enough, or whatever. And you're and you're and you're you you uh, you're timid and shy. I want to offer first before we ever get started a word of encouragement to you. I want you to turn to First Corinthians, if you will, please, chapter two. I don't know what you think. But of all the biblical characters in the Bible, the one that God has used to minister to me the most has been, hands down, apart from our Lord Himself, which is the same, would be Paul. And when I see Paul, and I envision Paul, I think of somebody like my grandfather. My grandfather was a pastor, and he was as bold as a lion. And he would witness to anything that moved. And he led a bunch of people to the Lord during his lifetime. I still have people come up to me when I'm pumping gas or something that will say, you know what, your grandfather, it's amazing. God really, you had a fruitful ministry. He was bold as a lion. I see Paul that way, as being bold as a lion. They say he was probably a man of short stature, so I feel good about that. And, um, and, um, and uh, that he was probably, uh, uh, probably not a very winsome, handsome guy, but he was a... He was bold as a lion. I see him that way, but you know what? The Scriptures have been opened up in a little bit different way to me. And I know it's in part because when he shared the Gospel, it put his life in peril. But I would like to encourage you because I've gone into witnessing situations before and I've stood in the parking lot of a hospital knowing I went back to go talk to somebody who's rejected Christ and you don't know what kind of family they're surrounding. You don't know how mad they're going to get. They might get upset, what have you. I've stood there in the parking lot and said, Lord, you've got to help me because I don't want to leave here without bearing witness of your son if it's all possible but you got to help me and pray for boldness well you know what if you stand in need of boldness you're in good company but I want you to listen to this chapter 2 1 Corinthians verse 1 and I brethren when I came to you did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified I was with you in meekness and weakness in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wow. So if you stand in need of prayer for timidity and fear and weakness, you're in good company. As a matter of fact, look at Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul asked for prayer for himself, I think it's maybe six times in the epistles that he wrote. But look what he said here in speaking of t putting on armor. And by the way, we won't get too far into this, but it is telling that the armor is what he's asking for. 
And then he's given us the reason for asking for it. Okay? He says, put the armor on. And then look what he says in verse 17 at the end of it. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What's he asking for? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. The Apostle Paul. You think he had it down? I mean, he went to Jesus. You know, he went to Jesus Seminary after he got saved out in the wilderness, and Jesus Himself revealed to him the truth that's written in the epistles. And you would think that this guy—I mean, he was quite polished. You know, oh, just let me have Adam, and blows off his gospel gun. But listen, what he said: I need prayer that when the opportunity presents itself, I may be bold. Let's pray for boldness. That's one of the three prayers that we've been asking to pray for, or been told by God to pray for for this church, and that's this. That God would give us opportunities to share the gospel. He would protect us in those opportunities and give us boldness when they come. That's straight from Scripture. Now, that word protect in the middle doesn't mean, I'm not saying He should protect us from adversity, or being misunderstood, or spit at, or anything like that. But in that protection, when those things happen, help us to persevere. And boldly proclaim in spite of it. In spite of the looks, you don't get them that often. But in spite of it, that we would boldly press on. It's a work of the Spirit to do that. It's not in you, of you, but the Holy Spirit is in me and you. And the Bible says in John 15, 26, that when the Holy Spirit sinned, Jesus said this about him. He will testify of me. So when the Holy Spirit is operative, he prompts me to share the gospel. And He moves me to share the gospel because the gospel is Jesus Christ. To give testimony of God's Son. That's what He moves us to do when we're operating in the Spirit. That's all we care about when we interact with somebody because we see them in two categories, right? They're either in Adam or they're in Christ. That's it. Lost, saved. So I want to encourage you. If you, if you, if you, if you struggle with the boldness, if you struggle in the past... Pray about it. Pray. We're praying for you as a church. Brian and I get together every week and pray over these prayer requests. And that's one of the things God give us boldness, opportunities of boldness when they come. Over you, we're praying over, and ourselves. I need it. I need that kind of prayer. And so the Apostle Paul, we're in good company if we need that kind of prayer, if we stand in need of it. And I want to encourage you by that. Be encouraged. There's a stirring in you to share the gospel. God's going to move in your heart to share it. And you can be able to walk away and say, you know what, Lord? I, I, I'm... I'm the conversation's on now. They didn't receive it, but at least we got it in play now. The dialogue has started. We've started talking about things of faith. I've got a place to pick up from there if it's not initially received. Because as Ryan shared this morning, God's Word doesn't return back void. He accomplishes what He sets it out to accomplish. Amen? So, be encouraged. Let's read the Scripture. And... As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. It's been reported, and Pew Research has come out with this statistic. Ten out of ten people die. How about that? That's Gallup poll. But you know what the Bible said long before they did? 
It's appointed. So here's the one of salvation. It is appointed a man once to die, and final judgment occurs one time. Okay, so death occurs once, physical death, and then final judgment occurs one time. That's it. There's no hope for any other recourse after that judgment has been rendered in final judgment. That's it. There is no hope. So there's the one of salvation. Number one, it is appointed in a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Have any of you heard of the name Kelvin Cochran? Does that name mean anything to you? Okay. Uh, Kelvin Cochran, this past week, was fired by the city of Atlanta, by the uh, mayor of Atlanta, and Kelvin Cochran was the uh, chief of their fire department. He was the fire chief of the city of Atlanta. And this past week, they fired him. And the reason they fired him is because Kelvin Cochran wrote a Bible study, a book, a 160-page book. And the title of the book is, Who Told You That You Were Naked? And that comes from Genesis, of course, chapter uh, 3, where in the aftermath of Adam's sin, he hid in the garden, and God asked him, you know, and he said, I heard you coming. He said, well, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I heard you coming, and we hid. And uh, he said, because uh, we were naked. And ashamed, and the Lord said, "Well, who told you you were naked?" Kelvin Cochran wrote a Bible study, and that's the title of his Bible study. And when he finished writing it, he was giving it out to people in the group. And he did say, news reports say, and he says said that he went to the ethics office of the city of Atlanta and passed it by them to see if it was okay for him to publish this, and they they gave him the thumbs up. But what happened was, is they openly gay, uh, openly homosexual. I'm sorry, openly homosexual. Uh, council member of the city of Atlanta was given the copy by somebody else and he subsequently gave it to the mayor and that subsequently set off a, 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 a thunderstorm over the fact that he put this in there. The definition of uncleanliness. Whatever is opposite of purity, colon, semicolon, including sodomy, homosexuality, lesbianism, pedoph pedophile, bestiality, and all other forms of sexual perversion. He put that. Then the other remark, 160-page book. These were the, these are the two that got in. Naked men refuse to give in, so they pursue sexual fulfillment through multiple partners with the opposite sex, the same sex, and sex outside of marriage, and many other vile, vulgar, and inappropriate ways which defile their body, the temple, and dishonor God. He put that in the book, and he was fired from being the police chief of the city of Atlanta because he put that in that book. Alright, it's on, y'all. You understand? It's on, okay? And I just, wanted to, I just wanted to use that because here's the mayor's remarks in doing that. I, I saw them on television. I, saw, I pulled up the clip. This is what the mayor said. <clears throat> he said that in reference to his decision not to, fi to fire um, the uh, police chief, Kelvin Cochran, his religious decisions are not the basis of the problem. His judgment is the basis of the problem. So what he's saying is, we didn't fire him because of his religious views. We fired him because of his judgment. Now, I believe in context, the mayor meant that he has poor judgment and therefore could no longer effectively lead the department. Even though, aside from sodomites in the department, I'll assure you there are adulterers in the department. I'm sure that there are known 
not known pedophilia is in the department and every other thing you can imagine. And he can effectively lead them, but he can't effectively lead the sodomite. And so if they later on found out that he discriminated against a sodomite or anybody else on this list for those reasons, that might be a cause to fire him. But the state, based on biblical convictions in a private book that he wrote that said, these are my convictions as a believer, that you could fire him for that basis. The, even though the mayor said it was because of his judgment, I offer to you this morning, it was because of his judgment. And let me tell you what it means. I, the mayor didn't mean this, but here's what it means. It means that we live in a world where we're called upon to muzzle our mouth and not make judgments. The mantra, the slogan for the New Age movement is, do not judge, do not judge, do not judge, do not judge, do not judge. And now we're here in the church and people take out of context something that came from our Lord's mouth Himself and say, judge not lest you be judged. Judge not lest you be judged. And you hear that. Can I say to you, dear ones, that we are in the presentation of the gospel, we're not making judgments, we are informing them of judgment. That's the difference. Listen, it's not my judgment that matters. Nobody, nobody, it doesn't matter about your judgment either. It doesn't matter what you think. But let me tell you this. We need to inform them, not of what God thinks, we need to inform them of reality. And reality is what God thinks. Because what God thinks is true. And truth is reality. And here's the reality. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. About six or seven years ago, I'm going back circa, I'm sitting here in the shower today trying to think about when it was. Not that it matters, but it was somewhere around, it was just before I think we took our mission trip to Kenya, the last one I went on. And I was had an occasion to, to have lunch with a guy who I knew, I knew, now, now stay with me now, I knew that he wasn't a Christian, even though he had some feigned profession that he was a Christian. And I got in the car, and I remember going down to our driveway, and I, and, and, and I, I got in the car, and I was, t- I was talking to the Lord about my upcoming lunch. This was in the morning when I left for the day. And I was going to have lunch with this guy named Ralph. And I knew, I love Ralph, still love him. But I knew, based on things that had come up in his family, and counseling that we had been involved in with what Ralph was doing, the way he was habitually living, I just was convinced that Ralph was not saved. But here's what I was convinced of, too. The worst possible position that you could possibly be in is to not be saved but think you are. Okay? Because if you're a down and out and you've got a trashed life and all that goes with it, you know something's wrong. Okay? Okay, but when you're whatever and you think, you and you've been told and you've been preached a false gospel, and this guy, the gospel has been so watered down in our age, it's already recognizable. And so this is what happened to this guy, Ralph, and I love Ralph. So we went to, we went to O Charlie's over there in Marietta. And here I am sitting there around. In anticipation of that meeting, I said, Lord, I, I'm, it's stirring in me that there has to be a different approach with this man than I normally make with somebody. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, would you show me what that is? And I'm telling you right now, in the still small moments of that morning, it was still dark outside. It's like the Lord said, Hebrews 9.27. Now I wasn't studying in Hebrews at the time or anything like that. Hebrews 9.27. I said, okay, Lord, I still got a bit of my memory back. And I said, I knew what that verse said. 
And He led me to this verse. Let me tell you why. I believe it's so important. God is a just God. And if we, in the presentation of the gospel, can bring those we're talking to into His courtroom, into His courtroom, and let's have court in His courtroom, then we get to the real issue. Hell is a place where people are going to wind up who are going to be there because they are sinners. And if we go into the courtroom, we're joining the Apostle Paul and others into a place where in first, I mean in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the Apostle Paul presents the case of the prosecution. And he basically, through 64 verses, gives an airtight case of the guilt of mankind. Okay? The guilt of mankind. And so, in order to get at the core of the gospel need, we've got to get at the core of the need. And the core of the need is this. You are guilty. Do you hear it? Okay, you are guilty. Listen to me. Read the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was written the way it was written. It came out of the Lord's mouth the way it came out of the mouth so that He could up the ante in our minds and raise the standard to where we knew it's unachievable so that because He raised it to an unachievable level, we realized, I, can't, I don't have any hope. And that's when you're a candidate for being saved. When you realize on your own you have no hope. So if we can bring them into the courtroom, I carried Joe, our friend, over to the... Um, to the veterans hospital one day. It was the day they had that bad wreck on 75 and a bus went over a bridge. We were sitting right behind that when that happened. And we stayed there in traffic for a week one day. And while we were sitting there, he, I was going to carry him over to get one of those things where they blast those, you know, they blast you and you, you know, you get your kidney stone taken out. And so we finally made it over there. And I was watching the television and I was amazed that day. At one program after I wasn't watching, I was trying to read a John Piper book, but I couldn't help but just it was right there. And so here we are, and I'm sitting there reading this book. Don't waste your life, John Piper, but Judge Judy comes on. And then Judge Tyrone comes on. And then Judge Jeff comes on. And Judge This comes on. And it was one program after the other. And and I realized, and they tell me now we don't have court, we don't have uh, cable, but um there's a whole network called Core TV. And that's all they do is talk about court cases. We are fascinated with that. We are fascinated with the judicial process. We're fascinated with guilt, innocence. We're fascinated with cases and how presented. And then we go back and forth. We're just enamored with that. It was enamored with that. There were no soap operas up there. That's terrible. But it was all judge this, judge that, judge the other. And I think it's because we get smug because we love to see other people in trouble because we forget about the fact that we are. But here is the point. As we go on with the gospel message, God's forgiveness. Oh, I've got you. I've got you. Take, take down the wrong one. God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. Okay. God's forgiveness means nothing to a person who doesn't see that they're guilty. The, the measures that God took to purchase forgiveness for man mean nothing to somebody who doesn't see that they needed that. Or at least that drastic of a measure. Do you understand? So if we go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, we go to the one. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. God is the judge over all. In Genesis 18, verse 25, 
when, when Abraham was making an appeal for God to forego judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, you know what he said? Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Shall not the judge of the earth do right? We talk about Abraham knowing God. He didn't need no God. And let me tell you what Abraham knew about God. Abraham knew that God was just. And that's the theme that goes out throughout the rest of the Scriptures. Take, take a journey with me quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. You might want to write these down. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. <clears throat> write down. We won't go to Genesis, but you can look at that. First Samuel, the Genesis reference is Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. This is, then, uh, then 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Psalm 50 verse 6 says, Let the heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. Psalm 82 verse 8 says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Psalm 94 verse 2 says, Rise up, O judge of the earth, and render punishment to the proud. The Bible, creation... Is, let me tell you what's happening in creation. Creation is screaming. It is groaning because it has been subject to corruption, not of its own will. God's creation was created in perfection and we messed it up. And the creation itself is saying, God, get rid of this curse. God, remove evil from the face of the earth. God, render judgment. Bring it so that we're liberated and so that we're redeemed. Do it. And the only way God's going to be able to do it is to judge evil and punish evildoers. We've moved away from that. We've moved away from that. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, will you go with me there? I know some of you have, uh, some of you have different versions of the Bible, so I try to look at different versions while I'm studying these scriptures so I can address things that might be a little bit different so we can all be on the same page as much as possible. Look at this. But I want you to look at verse 28 of Colossians chapter 1. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 10 that God will judge the nations and at His wrath the earth shall Tremble. That's what it says. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, look what it says. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, in some versions it says admonishing. Him we preach, admonishing every man. I've de- I've, as much as I've looked into this, I believe in this case, the best translation is warning. It is warning. What is a warning? A warning is a message, an alarm to stir everyone to be aware of and escape impending harm. Is that not right? Warn! We've got to warn you. And let me tell you this. We've lost the warning aspect of our gospel. But God has it. 
Just because we've done it doesn't mean God's done it. Because this is immutable. This is unchangeable. And the judgments of the Lord are fixed. Who is that judge? Well, look at, uh, look at uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 42. We're going through this a lot quicker than I wanted to. But that's all right. Acts chapter 10. No, you can be honest with you, it's not all right. But I, it, we'll, we'll do what we can. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 42. Are you there? Speaking of Jesus, but let's go to verse 40. Him God raised up from the third, on the third day and showed Him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify. Listen now. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that God is ooey-gooey loving. And He's just ooey-gooey. He's just ooey-gooey he just loves, 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 He thinks you're so cute. And he wants to grab you by the cheek and say, you're so cute. That's not what it says. Look at what it says. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he was ordained by God to what? Be the judge of the living and the dead. Who is he talking about? Who was raised from the dead? Jesus. The Bible says that God has committed all judgment to him. He's the judge. Look at Acts chapter 17 verse 29. Him we preach. It is appointed that a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Who in here cannot identify with death? Nobody in here has yet died, but you have not been exempt from its effects because you have had loved ones who have died. You've had friends who have died. You might have people right now in your life who have been diagnosed with maybe a terminal disease, and the, and the, and the prognosis is not good. Nobody's going to take us to task on the fact that they think they're going to get out of here alive. When we share, it's important that a man wants to die. You think somebody's going to say, well, not me. Hold on just a second. I eat right. Hey, well, you order to eat right. I, of all people, I already know that. But I'm telling you this. It's not going to prolong the day we come out of here, not one iota, because God's already determined that day. The Bible says, in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when is yet number nine? Psalm 139. God's in charge of the calendar, but look what He says about judgment. Verse 27, 28. For in Him we live and move and breathe and have our being, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Therefore, since we are offspring of God, we, do not, we, do not, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to what? Does it say believe? It says repent. To repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he's given assurance to us all of this by raising him from the dead. Who is the man ordained to judge? The man who died and rose again. Who's he going to judge? Everybody. The whole earth. Judgment. Is coming. Could you imagine how angry you would be at someone who knew that you were in harm's way and didn't bother to tell you? I'm just asking. Isn't that a practical question? I guess the question is, do we believe they're in harm's way? Do we need to consider that maybe and re- 
calibrate? Do we really believe that God is a righteous judge and He's a just God and that those who die unrepentant go to hell for eternity? There is no hope for favorable judgment. There's none. The best attorney that you can buy will be there himself. The one attorney you could have won't be there if someone's unrepentant. The one attorney we do have won't be there. He won't be our advocate. He will be the judge. Luke 12, 4. These are serious matters. I know you believe that. You believe they're serious. But don't you think... Can I ask you a question? Don't you think... Don't you sense inside your heart we're kind of asleep? Don't you, don't you have kind of a... Uh, you know, we're watchmen on the wall, and we're really kind of slumbering. As far as I know from military circles, the worst thing you could do in the military is be at a post to be guarding something, a fence, a wall, or something, or a machine, or a piece of ammunition, or whatever, and fall asleep. Because if you fall asleep, that means you put people's lives in jeopardy. And I believe that we're in spiritual slumber. Look what Jesus said about this. This kind Jesus. Now wait now. Let's don't let's let's don't limit. Let's let's get a comprehensive view of him. We just see him this way. And we just see him this way. But listen. Give weight to this. Give consideration to this. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. And I ask you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, they have more, no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, he, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Who's he talking about? This kind, gentle Jesus who took up sheep and suffered the children to come unto me. Don't let them, don't stop them. Such is the kingdom of God, this compassionate God who wept over Jerusalem, this compassionate God who died on the cross. Dear ones, don't miss this. That same compassionate God will throw an unrepentant person in hell. And it's not because He's mean. It's not because He's judgmental. It's because He's just. And the only place that people who are unrepentant belong is hell. And after Christ, that's where we belong. What's his judgment going to be like? Look at Romans chapter 2. We already see who's the judge. We already see when it's going to happen. It's going to happen in the final judgment after death. Romans chapter 2, what's his, what's his judgment going to be like? It's amazing. I think of people and how they... You know, how, what kind of day do we live in that attorneys play games in order to get guilty people out of trouble and to try to exploit the system or exploit the way evidence was gathered, or say, well, you know what, you didn't legally get that. And I know that we need to have laws about gathering evidence because we don't want to convict innocent people. But you know how it's gotten out of hand, hasn't it? And money is spent, and people who have money can get themselves out of a lot of things. Watch this. Four aspects of God's final judgment. Here they are. Romans chapter 2, verse um, 2. I would recommend you write these down. Number one, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. 
to those who practice such things. So first and foremost, the Bible says that final judgment is going to be according to truth. All right, what is the truth? Truth is the Word of God. So God's going to take His truth and measure it against our lives. You want that? You want those odds? I say this with passion. I don't want those odds. I'm more evil than all of you combined in my past. I don't want those odds. And praise God, I'm not going to face them all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. Number two, it's going to be according to our deeds. Romans chapter 2, verse 6. The righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. How many of them have escaped the notice of God? You know any? Where God just went, hmm, I wasn't aware of that. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Verse 11 of chapter 2. For there is no partiality with God. It is going to be impartial. It's going to be impartial. You know what the symbol is of Lady Justice? Scales and what's across her eyes. A blindfold. Why is that? Because ideally, justice is supposed to be rendered equally. You know what it says about the Supreme Court of the United States of America? Inscribed up at the top of it. Y'all been there recently? Equal justice under law. With Moses up there. Okay. Equal justice under law. We aim for that. We don't achieve it. But it's our ideal. God will achieve it. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter your skin color. It does not matter. It will not move God, not one iota. It is impartial. He's the only impartial judge, but He is an impartial judge. And then number four, in verse 16, this is the one that kicks it up. I think He saved this one for last because this is the one that kind of catches all the rest of them and should invoke holy fear. In the day, well, God will judge, watch this, the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. We've talked about this before, and Brian mentioned it in one of his messages. How would you like this morning, if we had the capacity to get up here, and one by one, we all stand here, and we all flash up our thoughts upon our screen for the last week? How'd you like it the last 15 minutes? Would anybody want your, for the last 15 minutes, would you want your thoughts visualized up on that screen? Absolutely not. And the Bible says that every one of them are going to come out in final judgment. Every single one of them. Not just the evil we've done. See, Cobb County, we're in Cobb County right now, will only prosecute you if you kill somebody. But God will prosecute you for thinking about it. Cobb County will only prosecute you for stealing. God will kill you for stealing. I mean, for uh, thinking about it. It's the secret things that are going to come up in final judgment. And let me tell you what the judgment is going to be like. Hebrews chapter 4. That's the characteristic of God's final judgment. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. 
Let's begin in verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. He's speaking of the wilderness wanderings. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Stay right here. Stop right there, will you? That's the point. When we take the word of God and we give a verse like that and say, it is appointed and a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. That's God's word slicing through all the shenanigans, all the areas, all the errors, and making the judgments that the word makes that we're called to inform people of. It guts to the it cuts to the chase, if you will. The word of God goes through all the pomp and circumstance and all the arguments. The Bible says each man will proclaim his own faithfulness. There is a man, there is a way that seems right unto man, and that way leads to destruction. Twice the Bible says that. What is that way? Ah, oh, let's try to be good. I can pull this off. Like Rosemary said about his father, her father. I've reconciled myself to God. And he, he's, he's going to be informed. He is going to be informed. And we pray, respond to the fact that you cannot reconcile yourself to God. You're irreconcilable. But God reconciled man to himself and he did it through Jesus. But look at this. And 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes to him to whom we must give an account. Every time I think about that, I think about the third grade. The third grade was a hard grade for me. Mama says my teacher really didn't like me. That's why I've got so many problems. I'm still dealing with it, y'all. Yeah. But uh, I remember one time I looked on somebody's paper and I was sitting right about where Tom was and I was cheating in the third grade, B.C., before Christ. And I was cheating on the person next to me and I got caught right in front of the whole class. And I remember thinking, I knew enough about God to know this, that He was coming back. And I remember thinking, Jesus, it would be a great time for you to come. <laughs> because Miss Hancock looked at me like that. She had lies that were like that big, Jackson. I'm telling you, the biggest basketball. So she looked right at me and caught the whole thing. And I'm sitting there thinking, I wish I could get out of this. Because <laughs> the trouble I'm in now is going to be much worse when I get home. Can you imagine the sheer terror? The sheer terror of the light being turned on all of a sudden on the unrepentant? Like that. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? And looking around thinking, man, I just I want to run. You think anybody's going to be up there with their case? You think they're going to be there with a little satchel and say, all right, Lord, now that you've had your, let me unfold mine. And then the, then the, then the defense gets an opportunity? Do you think that's going to happen? Let me, let's go to Revelation, Romans chapter 3. Look at Romans chapter 3. Dear ones, it is because I love you I'm saying this. And because I'm sharing this. It's because God loves you. But look what it says. Verse 19. This is the end of Paul's airtight case against the unrepentant. And here's what he says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, what? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Every mouth is going to be stopped. When the gospel is presented to somebody, and they're ready to receive it, you know what it does? Repentance shuts their mouth. Because here's what they say. I'm no longer going to try to justify me anymore. 
and I'm coming to God's side against myself. God, everything you say about me is true. I am a sinner, and I deserve it. I'm under your condemnation. Have mercy on me and save me through your son. We got to close. Listen, dear ones. The first one, two, three of witnessing is to be Spirit-led. We've already talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit, role of the Holy Spirit, listen, is to testify of Christ. When He said, when He comes, the one I'm going to send, He will convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. I want to ask you this question. You know what? I don't think we're ready for that. But I want to ask you this. Witnessing is to see the activity of God and join in. Okay? I don't know if you've ever done the experience of God's study, but Jesus said, I only do what the Father is doing, and I join in to what He's doing. I know it's getting late, but hang with me for a second. The Bible says in three places, in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, and it's quoted in Romans chapter 3 that no man seeks God. The Bible says that an unrighteous man, Psalm 10, verse 4, Psalm 10, verse 4, 10, 4, okay? Remember that? You ever had a CD? 10, 4. I mean, a CB. See here I am? I'm, I'm up to date. Uh, so uh, it says. That a wicked man does not seek God. He is in none of his thoughts. So it says, let me ask you this. If you have a friend who expresses any interest, any interest in faith, God's working in their life. Now see, all you can say, you can say, okay, write this down in concrete. If you have somebody who's asking questions, if they are reading a book that you're aware of, or they're bent, or maybe they're starting to check out church and the claims of faith, they are being drawn by God because that does not come naturally. It does not come naturally. It's the truth now. The Bible is very clear about that. So when you witness to them, you can be assured that you're in the ebb and flow of the activity of God. You are. Now, another thing too is this. The witness of the gospel and how it's received gives us information toward that end. Here's what I mean by that. If you don't share the gospel with them, you don't know whether or not God's working in their life. Because you don't hear the response. If the response is like this and it's shut off and it's just you just get nowhere and it's falling flat, it doesn't mean that God's not working necessarily. But you'll know that, you know what, I tested the waters. I threw it out there to see what happened with it. You understand what I'm saying? But if we continue to wait, if we continue to hold back until we see that they, somebody just falls at your feet, I've never had anybody do this, just come to the feet and say, how do I be saved? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, maybe that's happened to you. It's never happened to me. So the only time I know of of being invited was we were called to go see a Muslim woman to share the gospel with her one night because she contacted our church and asked if she could explore salvation and she got saved two weeks later. But but th- that was like, oh, it's like down the middle, you know, you're like, oh man. But you don't know. But until you pull it out there, the dialogue is not started. If they shut the dialogue down, 
Before you talk to them, they were condemned. After you talk to them, they're still condemned. And your talking to them did not add to their condemnation. Do you understand? So we pull back and we go, wait a minute, though, I'm liable to offend them. I used to have a pastor that said, you offended them to what? Hell number two? Now think about that. Think about that. Are you offending them to what? A worse place than already headed? I mean, is it like different now? Is the judgment different now because you introduced the gospel? No, it's not. It's not at all different. One, witness in one, two, three. It's appointed a man once to die and after that the judgment. Very practical. You come across somebody tomorrow. You're going to come across somebody this week because I'm praying every one of you do and me too. And you're going to come across somebody this week and you're going to be in a conversation with them. And let me just say, there are other ways to do it. Don't send me emails or think bad of me. There are other ways to do it. I understand. But I'm giving you a practical, I'll give you something very practical. Somewhere in the conversation, it doesn't be to be that they need to mention Jesus' name and you're waiting for Jesus to be mentioned. No. It's somewhere in the conversation, you find a place and you say, you know what? God's been doing some things in my life and I'm really excited about what He's doing. I don't care what you say, it doesn't really matter. He could have placed and said, you know what? Let's just pretend it's Pat. Pat, can I ask you a question? Sure. The Bible says in chapter 9, verse 27 of Hebrews, that it is appointed in a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There are appointments you're going to miss in your life, and you'll maybe avoid, but it won't be that one. You're going to die, and I care about you. I'm concerned about you, and God's concerned about you. Here's what I ask you. When you die, and you stand in front of judgment before God, what's the verdict going to be? Guilty or innocent? Just ask a big question. Now, I know... Many folks, and I've done it too. Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell when you die? That's, that's, that's okay. But I'm going to tell you this. This question launches us into the courtroom. You understand what I'm saying? It's the courtroom. I want to get them to the courtroom. By God's way, not mine. But I want to get them to the courtroom. And I want them to vision what one day most assuredly will take place. And when you are standing there, dear one, please, and you're kind and you're sweet. Some people talk about hell as if they enjoy talking about it. Fully on them. We should talk about hell with a broken heart. But with kindness, the Bible says, dear one, it is appointed in a man wants to die and after that the judgment. Can I ask you a question? When you stand in judgment in front of God, what is the verdict going to be? Is it going to be guilty or is it going to be innocent? Step two. Is that. There's only one or two verdicts. Number one, appointed a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Dear ones, if they if they spit on your face, you know what your, your, your reaction should be? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the spit. If they won't talk with you for a while, you keep talking to them. Because see, you will verify your care for them by persevering through the adversity that they might level at you. But I have to tell you that I hardly ever get that. I hardly ever get that. I can probably put on my hands and feet maybe the number of times I've had a really adverse response. But what if, what if you have one? They just give you the opportunity to love them through it, to turn the other cheek, to slap this one. Because I'm willing to do everything for the sake of the elect. I will endure everything for the sake of the elect. I will. Because God's rescued me. And then you've got a conversation started. The Lord's got a conversation. What do they call it? I'm not savvy. You've got a thread. 
There's a thread. Isn't that what you say on the internet? This, what, somebody starts a conversation thread. Am I not right about that? Y'all looking at me like you don't know what? Is that right? Help me. Thank you, Pat. Hallelujah. See there? There's a, that's the other alternative. I, possibly, I know the conversation. But, so you start a thread. You, 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 got the thre- you have no thread right now with many of your relationships. There is no thread. Start a thread. Start a thread. You got to, oh Lord. Hey, pray first. I'm not saying that. Don't involve. Is it dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But do you want to be a vessel through whom the witness of the gospel flows? I used to serve with a pastor who said the gospel was on its way to somebody else when it stopped at you. I like that. And so so then we got the thread started. And listen, I'm just giving you a conversation starter. And that could come out of the blue. You don't have to wait until they you out of the blue. Ask them. Say, let me say it's Hebrews 9.27. Support another man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Could I tell you, when you stand in front of judgment, what do you think the verdict's going to be? Here's the exciting thing, and we'll go into it next week, and I'll hush down. The only court ever assembled that matters, and the only court ever assembled that has eternal implications, direct eternal impact, influence, is the great white throne judgment. Right? All right. That is the only court where the verdict is handed down ahead of time. Think of it. Let's say Scott goes out there and he's really mad at me and he slashes all the tires on our car and he gets caught for doing it. I wouldn't turn him in, but let's just say somebody saw him. The cop came, police come and arrest him and they put him up on trial and he's going to put up a defense and, and whatever. Let's just say he's doing that. And, 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 and uh, you know, we got to wait until the end to find out the verdict and the punishment. Not so with God. It ought to make you so proud of God because why would he do that? Why would he give the verdict ahead of time? To give you an opportunity, just like he has Tom Sale, to repent. That's it. Let me ask you this. Are you sharing the gospel? Do you have a yearning soul? Pray and ask the Lord to give you the boldness that Peter prayed for. Paul. And he will. And then get the thread started. And then when you get the thread started, love people. And continue to love them. Matter of fact, love them more than you've ever loved them. Sappy love after that to show them that you really do care. And you don't care if they spit in your face or cut your tires. You're still going to persevere for them. You understand? And you've got nothing to fear except God. And He'll take care of it. Listen to you all. He that winneth souls is wise. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 30. The righteous is a tree of life. You know what the Apostle Paul said about his ministry? Though I'm poor, yet making many rich. How many people have been made rich through your witness? Did you know everybody you know through your witness, if you're a believer, stands to be made eternally wealthy through what you've got to say to them? Isn't that right? Can you think of anything else you could do for them that's better than that? Propose something if you got it. Give them a car, house, a million dollars, a billion dollars. The rich man in hell who's there right now, I'll guarantee you, he'd say, listen, <laughs> he wanted God to send somebody, Lazarus, to go tell his brothers not to arrive at the same place he was at because he knew they were headed there. It's a point in the man wants to die, witnessing one, wants to die, 
after that, the judgment. One death, one judgment. Both fine. One death, one judgment. You got it? That's our first step. It's appointed a man who wants to die. Share that with somebody this week. I encourage you. Share that with somebody this week. Ask God to put somebody in your path to share that with this week. And He's going to do it. I can tell you that right now. And not only, not only ask Him to do it, but ask Him to make, aware of, make you aware of having done it. So you don't just sit there like I've done before and then you walk away and go, I just blew that. But mate, let's, let's get out of our spiritual slumber because here's what we've lost in the church culture in the United States. We have lost a gospel that alarms anybody. The question posed, I heard a pastor ask this the other day, and I thought, that is so good, I wrote it down. I said, let me find a sticky or something, a hand, something to write that down. The question I ask you, the question we ask, does your gospel alarm anybody? Because if judgment is coming, we must inform them. Is that not true? And then when you get to the part about this one part, that's what makes it so sweet. That in light of judgment you deserve, there's a Christ who took it for you. Oh, then the good news becomes good news to the perishing. Amen. Amen. We're going to keep going, God willing. I love all of you so much. We share the same struggles. There's nobody different. We share the same burdens. We share the same hiccups. We have the same apprehensions. We do all of it. We go through the same thing. There's nobody here doesn't go through the same thing. You pray for it like the Apostle Paul. You're in good company. Tell somebody. Hebrews 9.27. Point of a man wants to die. One, two, three. We're going to go to the two next week, Lord willing. The two verdicts. And what do we do when they're... Somebody's honest enough to admit it. Okay? All right, you ready? Let's have the Lord's Supper.